The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the uh, fellowship hall with our married couple class, uh, we've been doing a uh, series uh, here. Can you give me the sl- first slide for that, please, Brother Don? And I think I should be able to take it from there. Uh, the fact that bad things happen to good marriages, all right? And what to do when it seems like the world and everything else is trying to pull you apart. Now, uh, of course, I know that this is not the married couples class only. However, though, the lesson that we started into last week and were able to finish was entitled, One Bad Thing That Every Good Marriage Can Improve, all right? One Bad Thing That Every Good Marriage Can Improve. And that bad thing that every good marriage can improve upon is, a, is what we call attitude, all right? And so I thought, you know what? Even if a person is not married, one bad thing that every good Christian can improve is their attitude. And so I'm going to kind of recap what we discussed last week so everybody's up to speed. And then we're going to continue on in that lesson. There's going to be a few things that are targeted and said specifically about a marriage relationship or even the, the, maybe the point might say that. Uh, but for those of you who might not be married, I want you to just simply take that as, you know, how can I apply this in my life, uh, in my certain life stage or circumstance here today as well. And so I want you to take your Bibles and look at Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9 here this morning. And uh, while I'm doing that, is there anyone that's in my class regularly that don't have notes and you need one uh, here today? You'd like a, a copy of it? And if uh, Brother Mike, if you, I'm going to give you uh, the stack, and uh, if you'll just hold on to it, and uh, then maybe distribute for anyone else that might need it. Now, anyone else that is here today that isn't regularly in my class, uh, since we still have several, and would like some, uh, a copy of the notes, uh, you're welcome to it. And so, if you want one, you can hold your hand up real quick, and we'll get it to you. And several, so hold it up, keep it up high, uh, so that he sees that, and he'll distribute those. And as we go along, you'll see it on the screen, and there's blanks in there, so you'll be able to fill those out as you go along, um, as well as we kind of pick up. But Philippians chapter four. Uh, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Uh, J. Sidlow Baxter said, uh, what is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our attitude toward it. Every opportunity has a difficulty, and every difficulty has an opportunity. And the way that we see things and the way that we approach the things that we experience in our life uh, is really uh, dependent on our attitude towards it. Um, And so, Two people could be in the same scenario and experiencing the same experience, and one walk away from it with a positive review, and the other walk away with it from it with a negative review. And what's the difference in those two? They had the same exact experience. They ate at the same restaurant. They sat at the same table. They ordered the same meal even. But one said, man, that was the best meal I've ever had. 
And the other says, that's the worst I've ever had. What's the difference in them? And of course, it has to do with one's attitude. Uh, attitude, uh, it can make a, a, a world of a difference in how two people view the same thing, especially when it comes to a marriage. And so last week, we discussed this and just kind of recapping on things. It's the first point in your, uh, your notes, if you have them today. Uh, but your most important marital asset is going to be that of your attitude. Your most important uh, asset as a believer is going to be your attitude. I had a professor in college that uh, all the, over and over, constantly, I would hear him say this phrase, your attitude determines your altitude. And, uh, you know, how, how high you can climb, how high you, uh, in your joy and, and uh, happiness and such is oftentimes uh, directly related to your attitude. I shared this last week also, but I think it's important to share again for those who weren't here. Um, Chuck, Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll said this, he said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, uh, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. And he goes on to say that the most remarkable thing about life is that we can choose our attitude every day of the year. He says this, quote, We cannot change the past. Nor can we change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We also cannot change the inevitable. And then he makes this statement. He says, the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. He also says this, I'm convinced that life is 10%, that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And so number two this morning, I want to jump into this and, uh, and talk about what a good attitude can do for a marriage, what a good attitude can do for your life in general as well. It's no accident uh, that some couples um, live harmonious and happy lives together while others live maybe even in the same neighborhood. They have this similar uh, financial resources. They attend even the same church and, uh, uh, and live in a marriage that is marked by discord and, and a difficulty. It's no accident that some couples seem to take all life hands them with a stride, rising above the heartaches, while others, though, they have had similar situations, similar disadvantages, and are dominated by feelings of blame and resentment. The reason for that is because of the attitude that they take and the way they approach the things that they experience. The reason some couples make the most of marriage while others barely make it at all is directly related to their attitude. The reason why uh, one individual can stick at a job for decades with the same boss that the person that only last days had, with the same experiences that the person that could not last hours had, 
all comes down to their attitude. So, of course, this lesson was developed and planned specifically for my class down there, for the married couples. But even if you're not married here today, I think you understand greatly how your attitude affects things. And our attitude is often directly related to what we think and what we, we muse upon. And the Bible says here in Philippians that we're to think on good things. How often is our mind are, are just kind of immediately drawn to the negative uh, someone has once said, you are, the, you are only one thought away from a good feeling. And if we would just take and completely realign our viewpoint and the way we see things, it would change our attitude. And enduring marriage uh, and enduring relationship of any kind uh, requires po uh, possibility thinking, elasticity, and resilience. It needs continual attention and adaptation. There's going to be things that change in life. And there's going to be things that you experience that you never planned to experience. And we've got to be able to adapt to those things and do it with a positive attitude or it's going to negatively affect us. Now, that's where we stopped last week with my class, and we're going to jump into some new things here today, so you get to ride along with everyone else as well, even if you're not regularly in my class. And uh, the next point in your notes is this, is why we find what we're looking for. Why? You ever notice that? That oftentimes you find exactly what you're trying to find in a circumstance or in a situation let me do this today. I want you to look around the room, all right? Take, we're going we're to take 10 seconds, all right? I want you to look around the room. I want you to observe everything that you can observe, all right? Just look around. Everybody look together. Look around. Observe. Look at everything you're trying, what's going on in here. Try to think of what I might ask you to point out and all that type of thing, all right? All right, we're going to stop right there. Now, everybody, close your eyes. No one else looking, no one looking around now. I promise that I'll still be here when you open them, all right? <laughs> With your eyes closed, how many people are wearing green? Anybody? Keep your eyes closed. And if, you're, if you are one wearing green and you guess one, obviously, okay, Without looking around, hold up how many you think are wearing green. All right, hold, your, hold up your hands, your fingers on your fingers. All right, there's, I see one, I see three, I see seven, I see four. There's all kinds of different numbers. All right, put your hands down. All right. Now, open your eyes, look around the room, how many people are wearing green? You see where you're looking for it now, and <laughs> one, two, Three, there's some green on the skirt, it looks like a, four, at least four. Uh, Brother Don, is your, no, nah, it's kind of a tan green. So here, listen, but as you look around, when you have a goal in what you're looking for, you find the answer. When you just, when you look around just for the, with no, in, in, no intention, no purpose behind it. You're just like, okay, well, uh, I, don't, I don't know. See, all of us see what we predetermined in our mind. And Abraham Lincoln said, people are just as about as happy as they make up their minds to be. You say, my marriage is a wreck. 
Maybe because you're looking for all the wrecks in it. My, my, my job is horrible. Maybe because you're looking at all of the things that you consider to be horrible in it. And you're approaching it with a predetermined attitude already. The, what we just did there, all right? This fact of the fa- that we, we see whatever our, we prepare our minds to see was demonstrated in a double-blind experiment conducted at a school in San Francisco Bay Area where the principal called three teachers together and said this. He said, because you three teachers are the finest in the system and have the greatest expertise, we're going to give you 90 high IQ students. We're going to let you move these students through the next year at their own pace and see how much more they can learn. Both the faculty and the students were delighted and they thoroughly enjoyed themselves throughout the rest of that next school year. The instructors were teaching the brightest of students that the school had. The students were benefiting from the close attention and the instruction that the highly skilled teachers uh, were giving them. By the end of the experiment, the students had achieved 20 to 30% more than other students in the entire city. That's when the principal revealed to the teachers that they did not have 90 of the most intellectual prominent students. They were just random students from the system chosen to be a part of the experiment. Well, the teacher stepped back and said, well, obviously that just means that we're exceptional teachers. (laughs) The principal continued and said, I have another confession. You are not the brightest teachers. Your names were the first three names drawn out of a hat. And see, the whole entire school year had a 20 to 30% increase over the rest of the school district between these 90 students and just three random teachers, all because they approached the year thinking and believing that they had the best and the brightest and that they were the best to be able to instruct it. And they went into it with a positive attitude. They went into it with thinking, we're going to accomplish something great. And guess what they accomplished? Something great. See, William James said, Thinking is the, is the grand originator of our experience. So the question then is this, why did 90 students perform at such, such an exception, exceptional level for an entire school year? It all goes back to a simple word, perception. They perceived that they were being taught by the best. They perceived that they are of the top students in that entire school district. And so our perception, how we view a situation, ultimately is a result of our attitude. You ever known somebody that could find the negative in everything? It's because they just have a negative attitude. You know somebody that seems to always smile and can make the best of everything, even the bad things? I mean, I've known people that, I mean, there's been times where I've been in experiences and things are just going wrong. If it can go wrong, it's been going wrong, right? Like Murphy's Law. And even in the midst of it, that one individual is still smiling. is like, it's okay, we're going to get through this. You know, they're making the best of it. They just, the, and, but most of the time, that's the case for them all of the time because they live with a positive attitude. Let's be honest about it. Most of us have a more negative attitude than we'd like to admit. Most most of us do. 
And that's why I said, that's why the lesson for our class is called one bad thing that every good marriage could improve upon. But it could be one bad thing that every good Christian could improve upon. Like you would change it to say whatever you want. But uh, once we have a particular mindset, we see everything and everybody in a certain way, either, either more positively or more negatively, even if our perception isn't accurate. When I was in Arkansas, we would have summer camp. And uh, I was in charge of our, our bus kid week. And so every year for nine years, um, we would spend at least a week out there at the camp with these kids. We'd have anywhere from 70 to 90 uh, bus children that would be, that their parents didn't come to church. We picked them up on the buses to come in and, and we were insane. This, it went from third grade all the way through high school in some of those years as well. And so we would have, we had these cabins and there was three sets of uh, triple decker bunks against one wall, uh, two, uh, three sets of triple decker bunks in the middle of the room and three sets of triple-decker bunks on the other side of the room against the other wall. And every one of those beds were filled. Then there was this little uh, off room where that was a counselor's room. But then there was stairs that led up to the loft, and that's where all the older kids stayed. And there was probably eight to ten bunk beds up that way. And, and I mean, we'd pack them all in there and, and uh, talk, about, talk about testing your Christianity because they'd all show up the first day, they were excited, and we would do our best to try to wear them out. But come time to go back to the cabins at 10, um, they were still ready to, ready to go. We would do our cleanups and devotions in the cabin and all that, and we'd say it's lights out, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever the time might be. 12 o'clock, no matter how many times we tell them to be quiet, they're still going strong. 1 o'clock still going strong. 2 o'clock, still growing strong. 3.30, still going strong. Finally, around that time, most of them would start to be falling asleep, but you always had that one knucklehead that as soon as everybody was finally almost asleep, he'd try to prank somebody or he'd make a bunch of noise and wake them all up again. I mean, it would be the wee hours of the morning. And then, of course, by 7 o'clock, they have to be up again. So, you know, it was, it was challenging at times, no doubt. And, but one of our, the reason I share that is one of the rules we had was that it was, unless it was an emergency, and they, no one could bring any cell phones or anything like that, unless, in it, unless it was an emergency, no child could call their parents. You say, that's just mean. These kids, these third graders, they need to call mommy and say goodnight. No, the reason for that is because we knew that especially come day two or three, after getting an hour or two of sleep, that everything becomes negative to the child. Forget the fact that they won the giant-sized candy bar for being the best behaved. Forget the fact that they went swimming. Forget the fact that their team won a billion points in the game that they, they played. Forget the fact that they are having the time of their life and experience something new that they've never experienced before. The moment they get on the phone to mom, it's like, I'm homesick and it's the horrible, most horrible thing. So-and-so said that I, they, said they didn't like my pillowcase. And, and, and they immediately go to the negative instead of saying all of the wonderful, fun times they've had. Because 
our attitude oftentimes is just completely pre-wired to immediately go to the negative side of things. James Allen, all that you can, all that you can achieve and all that you fail to achieve is the direct result of your own thoughts. Some miserable people find a problem in every solution. Let me say that again. Some miserable people find a problem in every solution. But what I'm saying here this morning is the choice is yours because you are going to find what you're looking for. And what you predetermine the event is going to be in your mind is probably how you're going to see it. You go into a meeting at work, this is going to be the worst meeting ever. You're probably going to expect it to come out thinking the exact same thing. So let me share some things this morning, how to change a bad attitude. And, and uh, because we have folks that won't be in class with me next week, I'm going to endeavor to just finish everything today. Um, and so we'll have to go quickly probably. Um, but the next are things that we'll see are, are, are steps that I believe have been proven to help many change what has been a bad attitude into at least a more positive one. Number one, first, is this, look for the positive. If you're going to fix a bad attitude, you've got to purposefully look for the positive. You say, man, I hope they didn't pay you a whole lot to come up with that, because that's oversimplified, right? But it is really simply that simple. If you're seeing negative all the time, you're seeing bad all the time, purposefully look for the positive. Positive. It involves trying on a new mindset. You ever gone to the store and maybe uh, say, "I'm gonna get a, uh, I'm gonna get a new look. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I, I've, I've never really had, you know, wore clothes this way, but I'm going to, I'm gonna see what I think about it." So you go to the to the department store and you pick a few things out uh, off there, and then you go to the uh, the uh, changing room and you put them on. And you're standing in front of the mirror. You're like, I don't know if I like this or not. I don't know if this is right. So maybe you've brought your spouse with you and you ask them what they think about it or whatever. What I'm saying though is this, you probably aren't going to change your appearance or your look unless you go and purposely first try to, right? Like you're not going to go to your closet and pick out new things because whatever's in your closet's what's been there for the last however many years, right? And you probably have more in your closet than you ever wear and you still go to those only three things <laughs> and you've got 50 in there. But whatever the case might be, if you're going to change a bad attitude, you've got to first start purposefully looking for the positive in situations. And we, as we've already discussed, each of us sees whatever we have perceived in our mind to see. So this step then becomes vital to changing a bad attitude. Anais Nin said, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. And how we perceive things and approach those things. So if you, have, if you walk into this, uh, this scenario or situation with a negative attitude, uh, then you're probably going to approach it and come out of it negatively in your thoughts as well. So you've got to go in purposefully thinking uh, about how I can uh, be uh, more positive in this and see the positive in this outcome as well. I've seen uh, somebody share something recently on, on Facebook, and how many of us know that, man, gas prices are high? And how many of us have even complained about the fact that gas prices are high? But I saw someone share the fact, that, say this, I'm thankful that as I went and filled up my gas tank today, that I do have a car and I don't have to walk everywhere. 
I'm thankful, you know, and they just went on and named a bunch of things that even as they filled up their car and spent all that money that most people would complain about, they were giving thanks about. That's why the Lord says, in everything, give thanks. And he, go, he even goes as far as to say, hey, for this is the will of Christ. This is his will for us, that we would give thanks in everything. You don't give thanks in everything when you go into the experience planning for it to be bad already. You can only do it if you go into it looking for the positive. Number two, let me say this, refuse to be a victim. Refuse to be a victim. A lot of people have a negative attitude and they have a negative outlook on life and the things they experience because they feel like they've always been mistreated, that they're the victim in things. In a study of individuals who sur- uh, survived severe physical ordeals, such as maybe uh, polar explorers who were lost in the Arctic, researchers found that they shared an implicit belief in their power to take, uh, take uh, destiny into their own hands. They did not doubt that their own resources gave them the freedom to determine their fates. And the same is true for everyone who transforms a negative attitude resulting from any undeserved situation you might have experienced, but turning that negative attitude into a positive. Perhaps maybe you're feeling sorry for yourself because you don't have the same financial resources that others do. Well, you know, we could take, I could stand up here and I could be a little harsh today. I could say, suck it up, buttercup. But truth be told, like, if, even if that's the case, we can go into life and we can continue to live in life and have a negative attitude about it, or we can see the positive in it. Even if you don't have the financial resources that others might have, you still live in America and you're still amongst the richest in our entire world. No matter how poor you might feel, you're still amongst the richest in our world. Uh, Walt Emerson said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compares to what lies within us. And my friends, we've got to refuse to be the victim. So number one, we uh, must look for the positive. Number two, refuse to be the victim. Number three, uh, give up grudges. Give up grudges. Especially, I mean, especially in a, in a marriage relationship, in, in any relationship, no doubt, but we've got to learn to give up grudges. Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, is a terrific example of someone who put this this in the practice. She was never known how, uh, to hold a grudge against anyone. One time a friend recounted uh, to a cruel accusation that someone had fabricated against her some years earlier. Clara Barton seemed to not remember the incident. They said, don't you remember the wrong that was done to you? That's what their friend asked. And Clara Barton's response was, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And we've got, we have got to give up holding a grudge. You go into your relationship with your spouse and, and, uh, and things just start to snowball because of a bad attitude. It might be because you're holding a grudge against something they said or something they've done or something they failed to say or something they failed to do. It could be in your workplace, whatever the case might be. It doesn't matter. But when we hold grudges, it helps no one. Nothing keeps good attitudes from emerging more than a good grudge. Nothing. Victor Hugo said the supreme happiness of life is the conviction of being loved for yourself, or more correctly, of being loved in spite of yourself. Number four this morning, how can I change a bad attitude? Give yourself and your marriage some grace. Give yourself and your marriage some grace. 
Uh, Chang said, the, the event is not important, but the response to the event is everything. Are you going to be mistreated? Is your wife or husband going to say something they probably shouldn't have said? Is there going to be something at work that happened that probably wasn't right? Is there going to be a time where you are, are said something about, uh, 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 said something and, and sh- it shouldn't have been said about you? Is, is that ever going to happen? Absolutely, yes. But the event is not what is important. The res- more important thing is your response to the event. So as we consider this morning, changing a bad attitude into a good one, we must first look for the positive. Number two, refuse to be a victim. Number three, give up grudges. And number four, give yourself and your marriage some grace. And lastly, let me say this, the sure sign of a positive marriage attitude. Harry Emerson uh, Fosdick said this, few things are more pathetic than a one-mile family where members of the family only do for each other what is required. You know the story in the scriptures where Jesus says that if you're compelled to go one mile with a person, then, you know, go, go twain, go two. You know, go, to, go the extra mile, as we would put it in, in today's vernacular. That's what uh, uh, Fosdick is saying here, that there's few things more pathetic than a one-mile family. The family who only does what is expected of them. And the sign of a positive marriage attitude is being willing to take the next step. The sign of a positive work attitude is being willing to take a next step. The the sign of being able to have a a positive friendship attitude is going beyond just the requirements and what is expected. uh, the, The extra mile does the same mundane things, It does the same chores like everybody else does, but it does it with the same type of spirit that they would do with the extra mile as well. I'm convinced that most married people, most friends, most uh, most employees, I mean, I I believe we live in a one-mile relationship where we just do what is absolutely the bare minimum to get by, and then wonder why we struggle. So, But the sure sign of a positive relationship attitude is being able to willingly and happily go the extra mile. So as we reflect today, as you survey the landscape of your marriage, your relationship, your, your workplace, whatever it might be, whatever scenario or place you might fall into, as you su- survey that landscape, what kind of attitudes do you see? If you're like most, you could probably use an attitude tune-up. I know that I can. I'm not saying that I've arrived anywhere because I know that I can for sure. So what single attitude do I need to change the most? What, is, what area do I need to work on and better in my life? When it comes to changing a bad attitude, one of the first things that experts recommend to do is to change your mindset by simply looking for the positive. So what positive things have you recently been overlooking in your life? What are things that are good and positive that you just are stepping right over and you're not taking time? We sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. 
But do we really do it? Do we really take time to consider the positives and the good? In what ways have we maybe allowed self-pity to infiltrate our relationships and our marriage and uh, what we do in our life? Maybe one or the other has played the self-loathing victim. And so if that's the case, can you, can you really point out the results and the flaws in that? What about going the extra mile? How do you think that if you were to implement purposefully and willingly trying to go that extra mile, how do you think that would affect your relationships? How do you think that would affect your marriage? How do you think it would affect your workplace? And what, again, whatever scenario you might find yourself in. The series in my class is bad things happen to good marriages. That's just the truth. But how can we stay together when everything else is trying to pull us apart? Well, we've been discussing one bad thing that every good marriage can improve. Even if you're not married here today, can I say it's one bad thing that every, even if you consider yourself a good Christian, one bad thing even a good Christian could improve upon. I think we all could admit that we could improve our attitude in some place or the other. So I pray that as we discuss that here today, that it would have been a help and encouragement for you to do so. Our Father, we thank you for this morning and your love for us. And, and Lord, you, you set a perfect example in, uh, in, the, in your word as you lived among us here in flesh, how you responded to things and the attitude in which you took in those matters. And Lord, we, uh, we know that you have instructed us to have the same mind in us that was in you. The Apostle Paul said here in our verses we read earlier that we are to think on things that are, are right, think on things that are good, but too often we have that negative mindset and we don't think about those things. Instead, we enter into situations and relationships with bad attitudes, and Lord, I ask now that you'd help us today uh, to work on those and fix those and help you to mold us and to make us as you see fit. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.